Incoming transmission. Said if you don't know we. Life, uh, finds a way. Start the Stark Contrast. Hello, boys and girls. We survived the weekend. We're back for Monday. Time to start the Monday edition of the Stark Contrast. I am your host, Rod Stark. Had a nice eventful weekend. As I mentioned on Friday, we had that live event for Mystery Time Adventure Hour. It turned out excellent. The girls did an awesome job. Packed house. Awesome show. I can't wait for them to post the actual podcast. And I will be sure to share that. It should come out on Saturday. And I'll make sure to share the link. I also had a date this weekend. I went out with the lovely Holly and uh, had a nice time enjoyed myself and then on saturday i had to work had to earn some money to pay some bills and afterwards enjoyed watching michigan beat michigan state and take back the paul bunyan trophy and then yesterday i did a little bit of hunting as well as today's did some more hunting ended up having a later start to the podcast than expected because liam ended up breaking his finger at school had a weight dropped on it during weight training and had to get rushed to the hospital we had to bring him in i lost a bet i didn't think it was broken but the x-rays revealed it did have a fracture at the top of his finger and uh, he did a good job considering he has a strong fear of blood he didn't pass out he felt himself getting woozy so he laid down at school and then we brought him to the hospital got him taken care of he's gonna take another day to rest and relax for rest and relaxation then he'll be back to school on wednesday and then have to take it easy for a few weeks to let it heal up but he survived made it through the day changed the plans a little bit but we're still getting it out here on uh on this monday afternoon a little update for everybody on the whole saudi arabia incident with uh, the murder of the reporter they now admit that he was killed. They're still using the excuse that there was a fight, some kind of fight happened, and he was accidentally killed. But at least they are admitting that they did kill the reporter. I'm still keeping an eye on it to see how it pans out. Not a good situation when employees of the Saudi government are responsible for killing a journalist. We'll see how it pans out. I know uh, Trump's already making excuses for him as... I would expect any of our presidents to do, considering our relations that I spoke of in previous episodes. Anyways, on to the main show. I'm proud to share this interview with you. It is with a friend of mine named Terrell Smith. He is a comic book creator, a drag performer, and a veteran of the Air Force. I had a great time sitting down with him. This is going to be a two-parter like some of my other interviews have been. It's a bit long, but it's for a good reason. He's got a lot of uh, childhood stories from the 90s. I think you guys will enjoy it as much as I do. Without further ado, here is Terrell Smith. All right, I'm with Terrell. We'll start off by uh, going through a little bit of your childhood. Where were you born? Where were you raised? Uh, so I was born in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Uh, raised in Grand Rapids, Michigan up until around age 10 or 11. This was around 1991. Uh, this is significant because... So you are born in 1980? 
1981. Okay. So 10 years, I was in Grand Rapids, raised by between my mom and my grandmother. That abruptly ended in December 8th of 1991, because that is when my grandmother passed away. Sadly, I was the one that discovered her. Oh, okay. And in conjunction to that, December 8th is also my mom's birthday. So my mom had a very bad birthday that year. Yeah. Um. So after that, things just kind of went downhill. You know, my mom, my grandmother was a mother of a large sleep. Yes. Okay. And obviously unexpected if you just found her. Yep. She was passed away in her sleep. And obviously, you know, my grandmother was a mother of a big family. So mom passed away. There goes the glue that binds the family and things in the family just kind of went after that. I want to say within a year, my mom met this guy named Paul. He worked in Sparta as a dairy farmer. Eventually, he brought me and my mom up to Sparta. I remember this part distinctly because of a show. Uh, The Power Rangers around that time had started airing. The first episode, I, I watched it when they first aired on TV. So... Whenever that time frame was is when I was living in Sparta. Um, his plan at that time, and let me backtrack slightly here, growing up with my grandmother in between my mom, uh, my mom had a drug issue. Uh, she abused many different types of drugs and was gone periodically, which is why my grandmother took care of me a majority of the time from what I remember. Okay. So <clears throat> Paul, my mom's boyfriend at the time, is the one that brought her up to their in an attempt to try and get her away from the drugs and get her away from that type of environment. And it worked for a little bit. So he wasn't a drug user as well? No, he was okay. not. So he was trying to clean her out and yep. he cared about her, wanted to get her out of the trap of yep. where she was at. Okay. Yeah, out of that, the, the type of environment. Um, what came out of that, however, she started discovering that at that time, this is back when cabs were a big thing, you know, not Uber or Lyft, <laughs> being dumb. Um, but she could find out that she could get cabs to come up to Sparta. Uh, and okay. then she kind of that kind of started going south there um and then she started having people come up and pick her up and then she would disappear for days on end um turning the story a little bit more towards me i was at that time grand rapids kind of in the inner city being taken to a country small town um we did experience uh forms of racism there um i didn't really understand it at that time but apparently my mom did uh because there were many times that she would come up to the school and throw a fit about teachers about some of the kids some of the things the kids had said to parents or stuff like that i to be honest was a little bit unaware of whatever most of that was i just knew that the school officials were really messing with me a lot. <laughs> so you just didn't know why. Right. Was up. Okay. So I had to me, I had good memories uh, back then, you know, uh, some power Rangers was out. Batman, the animated series was big on TV. Um, I was getting really big into my gaming at that point. There used to be a, a video store there in town that I used to walk up to um, that would let you, play video games there in the store they had a nintendo a super nintendo a sega genesis set up there at their store where you can sit down and play any game on the shelf and you pay like two dollars for 
30 minutes or something like that. So I would be up there like all the time, like all day. <laughs> um, one of those days, um, what was going up there, uh, led me to, um, what eventually, when we talk about later, what ends up becoming my, uh, character's biography for, uh, Firefly. Um, I did around, I think spring or fall, I can't fully remember. I did get hit by a car. Oh, really? I did. Um, most people don't notice it unless I take my shirt off. On the back right or left side, I have a scar that, um, I was taking my bike up to the fire department. You remember back in the day, you could take your bike up to the fire right. department to get it registered. Mm -hmm. And then I was going to go to the video store. Um, and I was crossing the street and there was somebody driving on the, uh, going southbound on Sparta Avenue and they didn't see me and they hit me off of my bike and I flew about 50 feet, rolled about another 20. So <laughs> totally oh, like yeah. 90 feet. Um, so did you go up and over or out? Like, <clears throat> they hit the back of my bike, mm -hmm. so I flipped, like, over and then continued to roll, gotcha. but not, like, <clears throat> head over, but, like, a, a, a length body roll. Mm -hmm. um, ended up with a lot of abrasions, but the big one was on, I was on my back, um, on just, just above my waist here. So um, did they stop or did they? They stopped and okay. they helped. And then, you know, my mom was frantic, of course, and they just weren't paying attention. They were trying to find the road that was just up ahead. Um, and from what they said is that they were going about 50 miles an hour. And they said, had I been, had they been going any faster, they probably would have killed me with that type of an impact. I didn't see them right. when I crossed the road going, I was driving against going northbound. And then I crossed over to Matt's going southbound. And when I look back, I saw no car. It was like they just materialized out of nowhere. I swear to God to this day. They were either that or they were, because there's a small hill there. If you go oh, yeah. through Sparta Avenue right there in front of Bradford Farms is where he worked. So we lived in the house right there. If you've ever gone through Sparta and you go out of town through the whole town and you get to the Bradford Farms there... There's a, a white house that you pass by in the middle of a bunch of fields, and that's where we used to live. Okay, and no just before that, there's a small little hill, yeah. little hill. And apparently, they must have been in that part of the hill where I couldn't see them. I can't really right. fully recall. So that's what happened there. So you get hit, you go over mm -hmm. pretty badly. Yep, and that was that's how I got the scar, which eventually I used later in my combo character's origin story that I ended up re rewriting to fit that to match my life story even better. Um, wasn't too long after that, I guess Paul got a promotion, um, and he, we were had returned back to my mom struggling with the drug problem now that she had access to getting back and forth so we got her further up um and we moved here to nuevo uh this is my first step into nuevo um we ended up moving in with his mom who used to live on 82 82nd here in a yellow trailer i don't know if you ever remember the yellow trailer that used to be there yep. uh they recently tore it down in the past few months um that used to be where i used to live um and then she again she was clean for a little bit 
and then she again found access to going back. We then had a a period of good times where we ended up moving further up north. We ended up going in Croton. So we had a small trailer that we lived in up there in Croton. Um, and that's where we experienced, and I remember fully the first time I experienced actual racism here in Nuego County. And it was pretty bad. Um, we had uh, a guy uh, assault my mom at our trailer. Um, we had some type of graffiti put on our, our place with obvious words. And gotcha. did they figure out who it was or just, they figured out who it was, but they never really, never really did any, they didn't did anything about it. Um, during that time frame, I was at Nuego middle school at the old middle school over here. Um, didn't have very many problems at all. Um, it wasn't until 94. So this is the beginning part of the year. This is pre-summer. So spring, um, ended the school year, fifth grade, went all that summer. However, towards the end of the summer, my mom relapsed really hard back into drugs. Um, and I had started school, sixth grade here. So was she using locally, or was she traveling? She was traveling to back Rapids. to Grand Rapids. Okay. I don't think she had she found... She hadn't got any connections up here. <laughs> she was just tr- yeah figuring out ways to get down there, too. Right. Okay. So she returned back to her old stomping grounds, the old habits down there. I was in school up here around the 3rd of... Well, the 1st of September, because the 4th is, is pretty key. That's coming up. Um, <clears throat> and apparently I had back now. I relied on my mom a lot, um, and I was having issues, and some kids were teasing me. Um, and I got called the N-word by a student, and I beat the absolute crap out of him. Of course, what grade were, did this you... is the beginning of sixth grade. Sixth grade, okay. So September sixth grade, mm-hmm. beat the crap out of a kid. And, of course, you know, this prompts a call to the parent. Um, my mom wasn't around. They ended up getting a hold of Paul's mom, Mrs. Rogers. Mrs. Rogers was not a fan of my mom. Uh, so when they called, she took this as an opportunity to throw my mom under the bus. And this is when the history of who I am starts. Uh, she made that, when they made that call, she told them that, Oh, his mother's never around. She's a drug addict and blah, 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 blah. I don't think she threw some other stuff in there. And next thing I know, here comes Child Protective Services. Um, they removed me from my mom's home, Mrs. Rogers' home. Um, and they put me into the foster care system up in White Cloud. Um, under the care of a Miss Dorothy May Williams, and that was on September fourth, nineteen ninety four. Um, a couple weeks before my thirteenth birthday, so I'm twelve years old at this point. This part started what later on becomes who I become. Mm. This starts the point where I start having animosity with my family because. 
the first thing that they do when they put you in foster care is they try to get a hold of the next of kin or the nearest family member to help out. Right, try to place you with family instead yep. of with a stranger. Right. So I was told I was going to be in foster care for about a week. This week turned into about five years. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> because they got a hold of my Uncle John, my now late Uncle John. Um, and because of the family history and stuff that happened between my mom and uh, the family, he turned it down. Uh, his words at that point were he didn't want to deal with my mom because my mom had apparently did some very hurtful and harmful things to not only my Uncle John, but the family as a whole, especially after my grandmother passed away. Um, there was a lot of family drama that went down. I know in that mix of everything that went down, I had a bunch of savings and savings bonds and stuff in my safety deposit box as a child that my grandmother had set up for me that I found out after I graduated high school disappeared. To this day, I don't even know if it's still there, if they used it. Um, part of the story later is my aunt tells me that they used all of it. Gotcha. I don't know how, but they did. Um, so that leads into me being placed fully with Miss Williams for three years. Okay. Um, there's a lot of ups and downs in that story, but out of that came Miss Williams giving me the mantra for my life that I've uh that I took a hold and that was one day I had acted out and was upset and was still kind of I wasn't a juvenile delinquent but I was a very troubled kid because of everything that had happened I didn't yeah. understand what was going on they're pretty understandable with the, all that yeah so uh she told me one day you need to get a life for yourself and not worry about your mom so much it took me a little bit to understand that and after that that's when I started discovering who I was and I went from being Terry Terry is my actual real name don't call me that unless you know who I fully am I don't really allow that unless it's you know close family or uh work to do that and that's when I started forming the identity of Terrell Part of that also came into play is there was like four Terry's in my school and one day I ended up getting called to the office for somebody one of the other terry's discipline and they oh, got the right. wrong one messed up so i started calling myself terrell at that point gotcha. um but then miss williams taught me a lot and then some of the other things that went on there that didn't realize until way later in life i was in an odd situation there Ms. Williams took care of a lot of uh, neglected children. Um, she took care of teenage foster kids. On along... average, how many at a time? Two or three. Two or three. Along with her own grandkids. Okay. It was it was good, but and how many grandkids did she have there? I'm just trying to, in my mind, see how many kids were on average there at the time that she was taking care of. Let's see. At one point, the names that I remember were me, Matt, and Jamarco as the three foster kids. And, of course, there was um, my cousin Pam and my cousin Marlon, um, which are her actual grandkids. And then, uh, periodically, she would be taking care of her younger grandchildren at that point. They were, they were under 10 years old at that time, and that was Mike and Gabriel. So, 
one, two, three, four, five, six, seven kids Pretty generally, regularly. Okay. regularly or occasionally, especially on the weekends when Mike and Gabriel would come up, along with her own kids, but they were adults, you know, Charlie and Aunt Carrie and um, and then there were her sisters that I confided in a lot, and that was my aunt, uh, my now late aunt Lucille, or Auntie Beirut as we called her, and then the last remaining sister that we have is my auntie Dorothy B who lives up in White Cloud still and I actually communicated with her about a week ago um so the, I'm not trying to derail you at all but mm. so they're they're like family now to you yes obvious like that's what I'm hearing when mm-hmm. you're talking they're they're they were what they I stepped knew stepped in as the family you needed yeah at that time because in in my mind's eye my family even though my uncle John visited me, my uncle Jeff visited me, no one from my family took me back to our family. Right. So in my mind's eye, my family had turned their back on me to a degree. No, I, I could definitely understand. So it's like a, it feels like a betrayal, really. Yes, a major betrayal. Because, um, like I said, my uncle John turned me down because he didn't want to take care of that. Didn't want to, or not take care of me. He didn't want to deal with my mom in that regard and then my uncle jeff i don't really think i question why my uncle jeff didn't take me um but then again he was in detroit and i wasn't thinking about going to no detroit (laughs) um but if we get to it there's a lot that i discovered i want to say earlier this year sitting down and talking with my actual my cousin I found out more stuff that was going on at the same time that I'm in foster care that was going on in my family. I had no clue about that prevented a lot of my family members from actually helping. Gotcha. So, so there's stuff you didn't know about that no. prevented it that would have made it a little different of a light mm-hmm. to you. Not that as a kid you couldn't probably understand right. everything anyway. Alongside of that, my mom was fighting to, of course clean herself up to get me back and all this different stuff um while at the same time i'm getting into adolescence and starting to figure myself out um 95 comes around and that's when i get introduced to a man named scott rosema scott rosema was a is a comic book artist um and we had an event at white cloud middle school one day called comics in action and it was all about different aspects of comics and all that different stuff. At this point, I had just started discovering that I can write um, and getting creative about that. Um, at the end of the day of that event, he had an assembly and uh, the whole school was there. And he drew on the old projector, if you don't know, <laughs> on the old, beaming up on the, the screen right. type of projection. And he drew a picture of Space Ghost. And at the end of that, he gave it to one of the students randomly. And that student just hell happened to be me. That's pretty sweet. And from that is when I started getting more creative about writing fictional characters. It wasn't until high school when I started getting into the comics, which you're very well aware of right. since you're one of the characters. Um, but it was from that meeting that I started forming who I started becoming but you saw you saw that that was something you wanted to do is mm-hmm. be creative in your life and then that's also what started me along with 
the advice that Miss Williams had gave me, Grandma had gave me, get a life for myself. That's when I got interested in sports. I started doing football. I started doing rocket football. Um, I started running track. And when that started, I started becoming more popular at school. Um, I entered a writing contest. I think it was Heritage Academics Contest. Or something. I can't even remember. I had to look at my awards that I have. Um, I didn't place. However, I got honorable mention along with the winners for my story, The Quantum Earth Protectors. And I was doing really well. Um, I did get held back my first year. Um, so instead of being, I was slated at that time to be class of 2000. Okay. Um, but because I got held back, ended up getting class of 2001, which you're very familiar with, um, seeing as we're classmates to a degree, whatever you want to call it. (laughs) Um, but there was also some other things that were going on at Miss Williams' home that now as an adult, I feel comfortable talking about because back then I didn't know. At that time, as I said, she took care of a lot of neglect and special needs kids. I was considered special needs because I was neglected and had what they like to label emotional duress. He was emotionally neglected. What ended up happening at Miss Williams' home, and I'm not bad-mouthing, but I'm just telling the truth here. In a way, I was kind of a Cinderella. The other kids were handicapped, so they got special attention. Others were her grandkids, so they definitely got right. special treatment. I, on the other hand, was still one of her foster kids, but I really wasn't much of a special case. I could see things that most couldn't, and this caused a lot of problems. She had a daughter, she has a daughter named Jackie, that I didn't get along with. In my eyes, Jackie is evil. Okay. She did a lot of things, and she was very manipulative in that household. And Jackie just so happened to be Mike and Gabriel's mom. Oh, okay. And when Jackie would come up and visit, I just saw her do things to Grandma and manipulate situations. Grandma didn't see them. If she did, she didn't acknowledge them like she should have. I did, however, and I didn't put up with it. I would often get in trouble through Jackie. Jackie would point with there were things that happened. All of a sudden, it was my fault. Gotcha. It wasn't. Right. I. One of the things that started happening to me is I'd go to school. School was my escape from that house. There were times I'd have to I'd have to call every day for football practice or track practice, see if I could go to practice. I'm not kidding you. I had to call and ask permission to go to practice. Okay. But normally when I come home, I come home from school and I have to be stuck in the kitchen, cleaning, doing the dishes, cleaning the kitchen, mopping the floors. Meanwhile, the other kids really didn't do that. And it was rough. So that's how my creativeness became my escape. Going to school, that's where my friends were. That's where nobody knew what I had to go through at home was. And they saw me as a different person at school versus what I was at home. So you kept that tight to your vest and didn't really let people know what home life was like? Yep. I couldn't go and hang out with friends. 
hanging out with friends was a big thing to me at school because that's where I saw them. Right. I couldn't just go over to their house and hang out like uh, her grandkids could. <clears throat> of course, her other foster kids were special nieces, so they didn't they didn't do anything like that either. Right. But she babied them and pampered them. And <clears throat> when there was gifts, I would get, I guess you would say, the lesser of the gifts. Well, they got the best gifts. When I'd say I was a basically a literal Cinderella story, I kind of was. Okay. You know, the evil stepsisters were treated so much different than Cinderella, even though Cinderella was very beautiful or she was the most skilled and talented in the house. Eventually, there was a couple other things that I was going through personally. One of the things as a foster child that you have to go through, you have to go through counseling. So every week I'd go see a counselor. I don't want to get into the detail of why I was seeing the counselor for this particular reason, but there was a certain health issue that I suffered up until I was age 27. One thing they didn't tell me when talking to a counselor is that if they feel something is being illegal or hurtful to the child that they have to report it. They didn't tell me that. They told me everything that I said was confidential. So I told them what was being done to handle this health condition that I had. Apparently, that was the wrong thing to do. What ended up happening is a repeat of 94. Child Protective Services came in and removed all of the kids out of the home. At that time, Miss Williams was working on adopting a young boy named Conrad. I can't remember his last name. I remember what he looks like back then, but she was looking to adopt him. That whole process got halted. I, in the long run, when they found out everything, what had happened, what I had said, I had said this to a counselor and confident, and it all came out. Effectively, most of her family blamed me for a lot of stuff because a year after that, February 28th of 98, Miss Williams passed away yet of a heart attack. Some of her family members blamed me for all the stress that she had to go through. I, at this time, did not know this. I had just known that I had been separated from Miss Williams. I had had some terrible foster parents. At this point, when I was, when I got this news, I was with a foster family that I had been placed in Hesperia. And my first, my freshman year, I was, I began the freshman year in Hesperia. I played football there. That is key to something later. So I started playing football in Hesperia my freshman year. And I was with a family, uh, Mike and Carol Rance. About halfway through the football season, they decided they wanted to move over to Muskegon. This was a big process because I would then be out of the Nuego County foster care system and would be transferred over to the Muskegon County system. Yeah, so that's a, probably not an easy process, especially in the 90s. Yeah, so effectively, I ended up moving with them over to Muskegon, and this is where I started getting into the comics. I had created Firefly at this point with staying with Mike and Carol just before I got the news. So January of that year of 98 is when I effectively created Firefly. Okay. In February, I got that news. Reason why I know this date so well is because the day before, I tried to call Miss Williams. I was still in contact with her periodically. I wanted to check in on her and tell her I'm okay and all this different right. stuff. You and, viewed her as family, so yeah. obviously you yeah. heard about her. And so they prevented me from talking to her the day before. And then the next day, I got the news. I was absolutely furious to the point where this is an older couple they were well into their 60s i'm a young 16 
16, 17 at this point, 15, 16 years old. And I have, to a degree, of a slight anger or temper problem. I scared the absolute shit out of them after that. They decided that they were done with teenagers because I had scared them to the point where they had to call the cops a couple times because I felt that they had kept me from something near and dear to me and I would never get that back. Right. And that was the, I just wanted to call grandma and tell her about my creativity and how I'm doing. And they, they prevented me from talking to her that day, the day before she died. Did you ever get a chance to ask them why? They wouldn't let you talk to her? At this point in time, I don't even... I don't even think I considered why. I was just that mad. Right. And so, from Hesperia, I went over to Orchard View. Mm-hmm. Orchard View High School. Had a couple friends there. That's where I met my friend Brian Brewer. You might realize and recognize that name because I tag you, him, and a few others oh, that are man. all wrestling fans. So that's when I really... I had been into wrestling because of my Aunt Cora, but... I had gotten back into it due to my friend Brian that I met that year. Gotcha. So and, this was 98, you said? Mm-hmm. That was like the boom of wrestling. <laughs> yeah, the Attitude Era, yeah. our favorite era. Um, <laughs> so I would, when I was with them, that's when I started being able to go over to the friend's house. That was oh. new to me. So me and Brian hung out all the time. and That's where I got into Rey Mysterio. And um, one of the most memorable matches I remember back then was the Rey Mysterio versus Chris Jericho where he bashed his knee. And that's oh, when yeah. I decided to make Firefly a wrestler because I wanted to just <laughs> mangle Chris Jericho. So I spent from the end of the football season, which is around October, November, right. finished it out with Hesperia, and then we moved. We had the little banquet, and then literally two days later, I moved. And then I spent the rest of my time in Orchard View after that marking period. February came. Of course, the event with Miss Williams happened. I got upset. They wanted to switch out. They took me out of the home, and I was in what I like to call a limbo. They had a disciplinary foster home on the outskirts of Hesperia called uh, Riddler. Riddler? Riddlers? Rit? R-I-T something? This is where, when they had very delinquent foster kids in different homes, they had a program there called the STEP program. And it, I can't remember what STEP stood for, but it was a highly regulated, disciplined home where bad kids would go. And I got placed there because they didn't know where else to put me at this time. Okay. And however, at this time, those folks were just getting ready to get rid of that program because they were tired of dealing with it. So it was pretty lax and they were taking it over to another family who lived on the outskirts of Grant near Cedar. Is that Spring Lake area? Yeah, like Sand um, Lake. Sand Lake. So if you took Spruce, you know when you take Spruce down and it splits off into a T? Yep. If you went left, yep. um, they were way down there okay. a little bit. Yeah, and that was like. to Don and D Wish. So the program was transitioning from over there to there. So I got into a pretty lax part of it where one was ending and one was beginning before they got all serious. They placed me there for a while. I was there for maybe maybe a month between the two places. And then they found me a foster home with a lady named Marie. So while you were in the intensive one, mm-hmm. would you still go to Hesperia schools? or I was, was not, I was not in any school no at this school, point. You were just there. I was just there. I was going to school through them. Gotcha. And this is a lot of the details that most people don't know because it's, it's very minute. So I just kind of skip this part when I tell people my history. But I then got placed with Marie who lived on John Street here in Nuego. And that's when I returned 
back to Nuevo in the spring of 98, so March, end of March, beginning of April of 1998. The last, I remember coming so to... freshman year then? Or? Yes, this okay. is all freshman year. <laughs> yeah, so you had a crazy freshman year. Yes. So I came into Nuevo at the end of the freshman year during the last marking period. I showed up in Nuevo literally the first day of the last marking period. If you remember how marking periods right, yeah. worked, you should. You're a dad. Yeah, I, sadly, I <laughs> So that's when I showed up to Nuevo. It was then I got into track. I then met, I was in band, and that's where I met Luke, my best friend Luke, that, you know, me and him have been best friends for 20 years now at this point. And then I met Aaron Capaldi, who ended up training me and Luke. That's a part of the whole comic suit, so that's kind of important. <laughs> We ended up learning martial arts a little bit through him. I learned the bow staff. He learned the sword. We were just, we were just dumb kids at that time. Ended up getting introduced to the shoemaker family. And then the summer between freshman year and sophomore year happened. And yet another event happened to me. So I'm 16 at this point. Okay. I have to say that because I remember what happened on my 17th birthday. <laughs> so during that summer, that's when I really, my, my comic books really started to get taken off. That's when I started creating the centuries or the knights. You should know them very well because you're yeah. one of the knights. Um, that's when I met Jason, Jason Grasick, Paul, and Chad, and all those guys. And that's when I first applied to play for the football team for Nuevo. Okay. It was shortly after I started playing football, we started doing the practices two-a-days. There was an event that happened with Marie. It wasn't her directly, but it was a family member. There was a guy that used to have, that she used to have living at the house who was a former foster child of hers back in the day. Now, save the long story, he murdered her uncle on the other side of the state. Okay. <laughs> okay. So, a federal investigation started taking place. Mm. Needless to say, on September 18th of 1998, my 17th birthday, I had the FBI or the local police, I can't really remember who they were, come in and grill me at the school <laughs> oh, wow. about this whole case. And at this time, I'm starting to get into my snarky, cocky self a little bit. And when they came in and started grilling me in Mr. Lance's office... I just stopped the whole process and looked at him and says, if you want to sit here and NYPD blew the heck out of me, you might want to save it because they were trying to get me to be like, oh, well, you're sitting here, you're protecting Jesse. I says, dude, I don't like Jesse. I've never liked him. I'm not trying to protect anything. I don't know anything. Right. So you sitting here trying to bully me and NYPD blew me because NYPD blew right. was the big show at that time. Yeah. Um, I don't know what you're getting at and I'm done with this conversation and I walked out. <laughs> this is my 17th birthday. I don't need to put up with this. I'm going out to class and I'm going to enjoy my birthday. <laughs> and I left. Shortly after, of course, you can't have foster kids under an investigation right. like that. So I ended up going to a foster home under one of my former caseworkers and Frick, who are on the outskirts of Fremont. Okay. That took a two-week process, and during that two-week process, I got to stay with Luke, who lives literally down the street from you, by the way, now. Okay. And that's when I really got involved with the Shoemaker family, because they took care of me for a little bit during that process, and then I went over to Fremont. This type of transition thing would happen twice. Note that. So, I went over to Anne's house. I was there, going back and forth to school, still playing football, 
which I now look down and I'm saying this. I wonder why that issue didn't come up when I stayed in Fremont. But when it came to me living on Spruce, it became a problem. Wait, that's a... <laughs> See, now I'm upset because <laughs> that don't make no sense now. What the heck? So I continue going to Nuevo to save a little bit more time. I bounced around to a couple different homes, ended up at the Wishes here on Croton Road around between my sophomore and junior year. Okay. And then I stayed with them for a little bit. And then they, like Miss Williams, were designed foster home to take care of special needs kids. I was a problem to them because at this time I was a well-established teenager. Meaning I played video games. I hung out with my friends. I did sports. Mm-hmm. I didn't have special needs effectively. I wasn't mentally handicapped or disabled in any sort of way. So they were having problems because they didn't know what to do with me. Gotcha. <laughs> so I ended up getting out of that home and going to a new foster parent. They had just gotten their license. I was their one and only foster kid, I think, at this point this foster home just so happened to be the pastor of the church that i attended the shoemakers with that's the grace bible church right here gotcha he his name was todd james him and his wife kelly had just gotten their license and then bethany christian services had placed me with them this was a very interesting setup this is at the time i was starting to make my shift from being a christian to slowly moving over towards being an atheist i had when i was with miss williams we constantly went to church and it was around 14 15 when i started questioning the teachings of the bible and stuff like that because at this time they were preaching revelations the end of the world 2000s is coming up and the world's gonna end and be being in that creative state i started visualizing these end of the world scenarios that they were pushing pushing and i it was with the my newly active creative brain i was scaring myself literally into non-sleepless states uh, there'd be many nights I'd be scared to go to sleep. I'd wake up. I'd start seeing just these things that just didn't exist. I started questioning, am I going to live? And this is when I started having my death dream, where I'd always see myself in a coffin. I'd wake up in the coffin underground, and I'd be just tearing at it, tearing at it, tearing at it. And I couldn't get out. I'm screaming, screaming, screaming. And then finally, at one point, it just is when things were all about to be lost. Things, the sky opened up and I was free. Now I'm going to take a minute and deviate back. I know what that dream meant now that I was older. That dream was relating to me being at Mrs. Williams' home in that situation. Once I got out of that situation, when everything went down the way it did, it didn't go the way I wanted to. But when I was removed from that home, I stopped having the dream. So back to Bonnie or Kelly and Todd. They wanted to impart the deep Christian values. This was around the time Final Fantasy VII came out. Now, if you notice, I link things to certain things that happened because these are important because this is what happened. Todd was trying to be super strict on me. He wouldn't let me play certain video games. Like, I could only play, like, Crash Bandicoot and Spyro. I couldn't play Mortal Kombat. I couldn't play fighting games because they were violent and they were, they depicted, you, you know, where I'm going right. with this. 
I've heard the excuses on that. I barely was able to play Final Fantasy VII. The only reason I was able to play Final Fantasy and get away with it was because the characters, when you beat them on screen, they just kind of faded away. Yeah. They didn't die. No dying, yeah. That was literally his expression of why he allowed me to play because they didn't die. They just kind of faded away. <laughs> well, this led into... Uh, the time where Nuego had just started up their dance team. You already know how much of a dancer I am. Right. This is the precursor before you ever met me and before what I'm going to get later where we all met. I applied to be on the dance team. I had applied to be a male cheerleader. I had been, when I was a male cheerleader, I was the first male cheerleader in 35 years of Nuego's history. Wow. <laughs> And then Luke told me I couldn't play baseball, basketball. And then, of course, I can't let my best friend sit there and tell me he, I can't do something. So I stopped being a male cheerleader and wouldn't play basketball. But later on that year, I had tried out for the dance team. And I invited Todd to show up because I knew I was a dancer. I was already dancing at that point. I had when, done. Yeah, when did you start dancing? So back backtracking to my first year. At the, my freshman year, that spring coming back, I came back. When I came back to Nuevo, I started school. They had getting ready to have the talent show. It was a few weeks away. I was in the talent show where I did Michael Jackson's Smooth Criminal. Okay. Based on the video from his movie Moonwalker. I had the, instead of a white suit, I wore a black suit with, like, I reversed his right. suit. And I had the school up in arms. It was immediate. I had just shown up. Nobody really knew me. After that talent show, when I did that talent, I had the whole school up in arms. They knew who I was. They, oh, there's the kid that did Michael Jackson. I had that, from that point on, I had become Terrell, the only black kid in school who did Michael Jackson, who could dance like Michael Jackson, and I became one of the, the most popular kid in school. <laughs> No, did Nuego have many blackheads, or were you like the only? The only yeah. Okay. So for, I guess, and you can call our mutual friend. You know Tara. Mm -hmm. Tara is one of those cases. I love my Tara. If you're listening, Tara, I love you. But at that time, I was the only black kid from K to twelve. <laughs> from the kindergarten, I was it. Tara. Gotcha. So there wasn't, and I never really viewed it that way. Because I was now out of the inner city, I never really saw myself as the black kid. I was just me. Okay. You know, I hang out with my best friend who's a pale little redhead. I hung out with all sorts of kids. I hung out with the emo kids. I hung out with the special ed kids. I played football, so naturally I was part of the jocks. I played basketball. I was part of the jocks. When I did the cheerleading, I was that group. I did the mascot for a while. Gotcha. This wouldn't come until later. I was just me. I just did things. I was the comic book kid, too, at that time. I was asking everybody to be a character. I was writing comic book characters. Going back to... So you joined the... Yeah, we'll get you I was auditioning. I was auditioning for the dance team. And I invited Todd to show up. And he did. And we went through the tryout dance. It went very well. And I was super excited and super pumped. And on the way home, me and Todd were having a conversation. And I asked him, I says, how do you think I did? <sighs> he looked at me. And he said, on the way home, you did very well. You you did better than all the girls that were there. I was the only boy. <laughs> and he says, but I can't allow you to do it. And I looked at him and said, why? What? what? Why? <laughs> he says, well, it was too provocative. 
lucrative, and sexually oriented. Knowing what I was known for at the school, I wasn't going to have it. At this part, I'm two years in. I'd done the talent show twice. Everyone knew what I did. Me not being on a dance team is like not having gravy with mashed potatoes. <laughs> right. It, it was where you needed to be. Yeah. And we had a huge falling out after that. Again, my street came out because he was preventing me from something I wanted to do. And I this came between the summer or between the winter during the winter of my sophomore year that this happened. Had a falling out. I was then removed from that home and I can't remember where I was at. I think I went back to Ann's house for a while and then came my junior year. I forgot who I was with my junior year. I think it was the wishes. I may be maybe mixing up my foster homes at this point, but I'm trying to get to a certain point. I'm trying to get to the summer of my junior year. So let's skip ahead because I don't think anything big happened okay. during that school year. It was just a normal school year. However, that was the year I saw the Pride team. They had performed at our school, and that sparked me to wanting to be on the team. So come spring of that year, they come, they came recruiting. And... I applied. I got interviewed. I can't who remember who interviewed me towards the end of that year. I think it might have been Rich and somebody else. I can't remember. But they knew upon my application, you know, I put in, you know, why I wanted to be in Pride, my back history, which, you know, the drugs and alcohol with my mom. And I was, I wanted to be a part of that message because my life had been affected by it and I wasn't even the one that did it. Um, something else had happened with one of the foster homes or something, I don't know, but I, for that summer, was floating outside of the system. I stayed with a friend of mine named Brent, and I stayed out on the lake here. There used to be a house there right across from Smugglers okay. that they used to, if you've been in that area, there's a big empty lot there now. My friend Brent's house used to be there, and I used to stay there with him and his dad. That was also the summer that I got accepted to the pride team and that's was my first year on the pride team i went to alma that year i met that was also the year i got my first car because i got it from megan gengris do you remember megan no not offhand i think she was before you got on the team i think you got on the team my my senior year right yeah okay i started during the year of the senior year yeah so i got my first car i bought a festiva from her i lived with my friend Brent until school started. Once school started, I had to be in a foster home. And that is when I got put in with my last foster home, the Kennys. So okay. you, so now you're now you're starting to get the, yeah, the link because yeah. gotcha, gotcha. it's getting close. I live with Gordon and Vernona Kenny on Spruce. I was on the football team that year as per usual. However, something happened and I don't know what caused it. I didn't do anything. Something happened somewhere. And I got reported to not the school board, but whatever the sports conglomerate was. Because on one side of the street was Grant. And the other side was Nuego. I was attending Nuego. I walked down the street a little ways to my bus stop. My foster brothers and sisters, Deborah, Paul, and Jojo or Joe at that time, went to Grant. I went to Nuego. Somehow, some way, the sports committee 
said that I could not play games for Nuego because I lived in Grant's district, and if I continued to play, then Nuego would forfeit their games. Really? Yes. Now, I couldn't play, but I had to go to practice. Because there was no way I was going to quit the football team. And this right. distraught me. This is getting up to my 18th birthday. Because my birthday is September. So shortly after school starts, I have a birthday. This is important because we went through some turmoil. I went about two or three weeks where I couldn't play in games. But I I love Nuego. There was no way I was living, leaving Nuego. There was no way. School, yeah. yeah, at this point, I'm a junior. I fought. At this point, I made it the point that I'm not going to any other school. It says, I'm not leaving Nuego. It says, I'm going to graduate from Nuego. Especially not to go to Grant. Right. We're like, rivals. Yeah. Right. I, I could understand that completely. I would be like, I was yeah. like, there's no way I could go to Grant and play football and then play against my friends. I had no, you know, Chad, Paul, Jason, all of them. There's no way right. I could sit there and suddenly play against my, my teammates. Which ironically was funny because we all share a story <laughs> later on. And so they introduced me to a program called the Transition to Adulthood Program. They emancipated me from foster care on September 18th to... Uh, 99 probably. 99, yes, thank you. I was like trying to make it... Because, you know, school years... Right. So I was emancipated from the system and introduced to this program. Where I lived with... where. This program allowed me to choose a friend to stay with, and they would pay them like they would a foster parent for me to live there. Gotcha. And that's when I got live with my friend Paul Wittenberger and his mom and dad. They live literally across from you. On the other side of the creek. On the other side of this creek. And they, too, were deeply religious. Now, I'm 18 at this point. <laughs> and your, your flag's already... Planted in the atheist. Yeah. Okay. So I don't think they made me go to church. I don't think I ever did that. But there was a lot of things that got taught in the home that, you know, because I nudge you back. And gotcha. I didn't have a problem. I liked Paul. Me and Paul were really good friends. We became good friends because we were huge, both huge fans of Michael Jackson. Paul's a skinny white boy, and you know, he's a huge fan of Michael Jackson. Me and him got along really well just because of that. That following year, me and him did the talent show together and we did this whole michael jackson duet dance thing and it was really cool it was shortly after that that i had a falling out with his family because views had come into play i can't remember what sparked it but i know that views had come into play and i refused to abide by it this of course called in the foster care system people and i had to separate from that home and that is when I found another home through my friend Kelsey, Kelsey Beerman. And the fun part about Kelsey and his family, they lived on the outskirts of Nuego, outside of town. It's funny, all the times I've seen you uh, tag Kelsey on Facebook, I thought it was a girl. <laughs> Sorry, Kelsey, if you're um, Me and Kelsey were, had gotten close because of band and Pokemon and all this different stuff. So we had that in common. However, part of his family, and I'm not trying to be like this, but Kelsey knows. He knows because it was kind of the weirdest thing. Part of his family was deeply racist. Oh, gotcha. <laughs> so his dad, God rest his soul, took me in. And I stayed with Kelsey and his dad at their house. And me and Kelsey got really close. That was the year uh, I was the mascot. Okay. For the basketball team, because me and Kelsey that year, dude, we had so much fun. 
that was when uh, me and Greg Carter got closer together too, because he was part of the Pride team as well. We would go over to his house because he lived in the trailer park over here. Him and his mom were like the coolest people because they would always go to. This is when this is because of Greg is when I started developing even more of my alternative side because he listened to Deftones and all these different rock bands because me and Greg were friends. I started getting into Deftones. I got this, you know, he's got this black friend who's into Deftones, Metallica. <laughs> Back in middle school, when I was with Miss Williams, I had some friends named the Verhoys who were huge hardcore Pantera and Metallica fans, and I started grasping onto them. And I had, yeah, I had trains to this conglomerate of this black white kid yeah. <laughs> um and i started doing raves because of greg this is also at the same time i was on the pride team <laughs> so i'm still on the pride team i'm going to raves they never knew that about me by the way me and Greg kind of kept that part quiet it was pretty funny we didn't do anything right you just went to the we event. just went to him and i stayed with kelsey through the summer of junior year so this is the time you and the rest of some of the other people this is when the new pride team was starting to form the seniors had graduated so we were recruiting and this is when you got introduced to the team right well andy joined at the beginning of the summer Mm -hmm. andy right and you guys did all the Alma shows. And mm-hmm. He's like, dude, you got to come to the Alma shows. There's, there's hundreds of cheerleaders. I <laughs> think you're amazing. So I came as a visitor on, I think, the, the last champion show at Alma. I don't remember that. Why and don't I remember that? When I came, they, they actually brought me in the back and stuff. They're like, watch. Because at the time, you guys didn't have enough guys. So that me. means you got to see... Okay, so let me backtrack. One of the main reasons I got on the Pride team, Cynthia was... You remember Cynthia? Yeah, yeah. She was uh, the choreographer uh, choreographer for the team, and they had the Thriller medley. Do you remember the... the yeah, thriller? yeah, You saw it. To watch it, yeah. You remember, I was the one that opened it. Yeah, oh yeah. They changed the medley because I was on the team. They wanted me to be Michael Jackson for that medley, so they literally changed that part of the medley for me. And I thought it was the coolest thing. Right. Because Jay, at that time, when I found out later, he wanted some color on the team. <laughs> Bastard. <laughs> and I loved every minute of it. Don't doubt that right. for a minute. I loved every moment of it because I was the, for a moment in my life, I was the star of something. <laughs> well, especially at Alma. And that was, it's a star situation, yeah. Yeah, so... um. That was that summer, and I was doing all that, and all the kids, you know, all the cheerleaders, and you later experienced it, but apparently you came in, because I don't remember, I don't remember you, until later on. Yeah, well, because I didn't, I came and watched the show, and then I didn't officially start the team until senior year. Okay. Like, during the year, senior year. Yep. Because it was during that summer, during that, something occurred, and I had to split from Kelsey's home. Okay. So this is going into my senior year. Played football, of course. So I'm mentioning football because there's this very special thing that happens. I split from Kelsey during August of that year. Yeah. I ended up getting to another friend's home, William McDougal. His family, they live down here uh, off the uh, the bridge here. If you look up, there's a hill, the house on the hill. Okay. If you're going to White Cloud or Fremont or Croton, there's a house on the hill or just across that, that railroad bridge. And that's where I stayed. I remember that staying with them because that was the big thing with them was because um, 
Spider-Man for PlayStation had come out that oh, year, yeah. and they got it for me for my birthday. So I was with them during that year, and that's when you were you had shown up to the team around that point. And clearly it was senior year for all of us, so we were all going through rough stuff that year. Um, you know, uh, I was it was the last year of football for me. I was very emotional about that because football was like everything to me. That was also the year that we all played together. Yeah, that, that, <laughs> I think that's my favorite game looking back all through my football career was not only we beat you, <laughs> but to get to get to play against people that were fr- you know your friends. So it was we were and then the next day we were doing a show or something. Right. But to, you know to get to raz each other during a game, which you you always had rivalry, you mm-hmm. know. But to actually know the person behind the mask. Yeah. yeah. So the big thing about that year in football is Coach Puff during practices has started realizing that I was actually a really good defensive end for getting sacks. So during passing plays, if he felt the passing play was coming up, he would throw me in as this random whatever. Because, you know, generally your defensive end is a bigger kid. And they got this little scrawny black kid who could just suddenly dart across the line. One of those times, you know, our, our good friend Andy, who just happened to be the quarterback for Grant, got a sack from me. And, Hi, Andy. <laughs> it, was, it, was, it was like I said, that game was pretty fun. And you were on the what, were, what was your position on the team? You were uh, defensive end. Were you opposite of me that year, or were uh, you on the other side? Other, I had been the other side. I, well, and I, I played. Um, I was, I was right. Top frame almost all the, the okay. Whole because the whole, the whole big buildup was how good Nick Toffrey was. <laughs> and I had, like, all through my football career, I had been an inside linebacker, and I'm not built for inside linebacker. So Clearly. I, I barely ever played, but kid. Um, Angel Coronado, another guy, uh-huh. you know, and uh, my friend Chris Rector were linemen. So my senior year, they're like, just come with the linemen. You're not really playing inside linebacker anyway. So I started practicing with them and i was actually being tall and lanky i was actually good at defensive end and that that was one of my favorite parts of the game was just beating the shit out of nick topper <laughs> supposed to be this huge awesome player he just was slow as hell so i, I beat him beat him beat him and then finally he tackled me and got a penalty like, ha you didn't get around me then and all over meanwhile you're playing against you know, one of your other towers of the team. Yeah. You're playing against Paul because Chad didn't play football. So it was it was me, Jason, and Paul that played. Then you had you and Andy and Angel. That was that. Yeah, that was yeah, one that of my favorite game. games that year. But that that year housed one of my favorite memories of football. So because of this whole sacking thing mm-hmm. that I could do, we if you 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 remember because you guys probably had to do it too when you played the team. Or you're getting ready to play the your next team, you would send a tape to them and they would send a tape to you to watch and whatever. I don't know if you yeah. guys did it, but they made us do it. I don't some, know why. Some teams would. So we had a game coming up against Reed City. And you know, we they did they, they was tape one of their games and blah 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 blah. And we get up there and they were going in for a pass, so coach throws me in because you know here comes a sackinator <laughs> number 22 that was my football number because i am i idolized Emmett smith back in the day i step onto the field and all of a sudden the entire team screams 22 on the field 22 on the field 22 on the field and i was like what the hell and they switched 
their whole defense. And I could not get to the quarterback at all that game because they had switched up. They had like two blockers on me, man. Do you know how good I felt? <laughs> I was like, I was mad because I had, to, I had to get taken out because they couldn't, coach couldn't use his secret weapon at that point. But that made me feel really good that they had to change up their whole strat because we got scouted. It was great. Continuing on, uh, went through senior year just fine. You know, going with the pride team, basketball. You you played? Did you play basketball? Nope. I thought you did. Nope. I didn't like the kids on the basketball team at Grant, so I never played. Oh, so that whole year, you know, we did all of our stuff, and I think that was the year. That winter was the year of the the tour. Yeah. Big tour. <laughs> the tour of the UP. The tour of the UP on the Pride team. There was so much fun there. I remember that. Chad and Paul and you and Andy. I have pictures of it still. There are other stories that were told to me, apparently. Thank you, Rod. <laughs> I'm not going to get into those. <laughs> apparently, some things went, went down. <laughs> I was half a pride. It was <laughs> things went the down. bad stuff that happened when we weren't on stage. <laughs> so that winter came and went. In the springtime, beginning of spring, towards the end of our senior year, we were all getting ready to what we like to call the senior wind down. Something happened with the McDougals, and I don't know what happened. I can't really remember what happened, but some sort of falling out occurred under some weird circumstances, and. I left there. I was still determined. This was really two months, month and a half before graduation. Gotcha. And I'm like, I can't. I cannot not do this. I had one of my other friends step up and help me out. And at this time, me and Kevin DeWeese had met during the football season that year. We were the underdog. We were the B teams. And me and Kevin bonded really close. Kevin offered for me to stay with them. Him and his, his mom, Dave and Wendy. I stayed with them until the end of senior year and I graduated with them it wasn't until earlier this year when we were at our c4 comic-con and we were sitting around the table and somehow we had gotten into talking about redneck proms and we started looking up youtube videos on about redneck proms some of the crazy stuff that these kids were doing showing up in trucks with big old deals some of them had big old horses and just all sorts of redneck camo stuff and we were sitting there making fun of it then i remembered i showed up to our senior prom in a dually diesel truck with my friend liz from grant do you remember liz elizabeth last name goodness goodness i can't remember bradley maybe big girl what's bradley i think probably she was my prom date for that year that was also the year that I came out. On the on the winter pride trip you talked about. Mm-hmm. And that is when I came out. At least to us. I, I'm sure you came out different times to different people. Well, I officially came out, because it's coming up 18 years this year, because I officially came out, and I'm not trying to gross anybody out, but I had my first kiss on Halloween of 2000 in the boys' bathroom at the school. <laughs> okay, cool. So that was... When I said I officially came out, so every Halloween, I'm reminded that was my coming out day. There was a lot of feelings I went through that year. We're not going to talk about it. There's a certain person that made me get all googly and weird. (laughs) And that's what pushed me to realize 
who I was and what I was. And then... So before that, that was the first time you really knew you were gay? Mm Mm-hmm. Was your senior year? I knew I had felt different my whole life. I started feeling different back shortly after my grandmother passed away when I lived in Sparta. When that during that period, I had felt different, starting feeling different there. I knew I was different. I could tell you at that point, looking back now, I never really was attracted to girls. I just didn't understand what it was. Right. And it wasn't until freshman year is when I met this particular person. And throughout that year, throughout the years, I bonded with this person. That person became a close friend. And it was really... The feelings I started having for that person just skyrocketed. I didn't understand what it was until it culminated my senior year and I realized what it was. And then it came out. <laughs> gotcha, gotcha. So, so you had feelings before that, but you weren't sure about it. But- right. Okay. I, I never knew that. I, I knew you came out your senior mm-hmm. year, but I didn't know if you kind of knew, but just didn't want to share or what? I just didn't know what it was. And it gotcha. took, it took the, during the senior year and then me coming out to the pride team is when I fully embraced it, all that stuff. And nobody had any problems. Matter of fact, it wasn't much of a problem at all. And then later on that year, cause we talked about this right. a couple weeks ago, how me and you were the oldest guys on the team. When it came to conference time, we were uh, <laughs> porn buying nudity. We were the porn buyers. <laughs> yes, that happened, folks. It did. I was the before. Yeah, we were the two oldest guys on the team who were old enough to legally purchase porn, and we were sent on a porn run. <laughs> it was weird. <laughs> oh, Louisville, <laughs> Pride Conference. <laughs> weird stuff. <laughs> What else was I going to ask you? Okay, so you came out your senior year, you kind of figured yourself out there, mm-hmm. and were, were you surprised at the reception you got when you came out? Cause I, I was. Because it was the 90s, so... I was surprised because I had gotten into, I guess you could call back in that day a forum. I had been secretly looking at different gay-related forums and reading coming out stories and how people had reacted to people that had come out. And the biggest person was my mom that I was scared to come out to first because that's where you start. It was a week before graduation and my mom had called because I was trying to make sure she was going to be there. I was the one going to pick her up. And I said, well, there's something I have to tell you that's very important and it's very hard for me to do. And my mom sat there and guessed. Are you getting married? I said, mom, no. (laughs) She's like, do you have a kid? No. And then the third question was, are you gay? And I kind of paused and I told her, well, yes. <laughs> and it just was kind of one of those. Now, I want to backtrack a little bit and say throughout the high school period, I had started mending the relationship with my mom. Okay. She had clearly cleaned up post high post middle school years those early years of my foster care system days she cleaned up i had gotten to the point where i just became independent you know from my mom but she was involved and she was there she lived in muskegon at the time so i knew where she was i could go visit her anytime so she you know i was constant contact with her and she came to i'm going to backtrack one more time and i apologize for it because i can't believe i forgot the biggest event and this is how everybody knew about what i started really going through through high school freshman year you may recall this because i think i told it to the team afterwards 
This is really when I bonded with most of my team and other people on both teams, the Pride team and my football team. Nuego that year had gone undefeated in the league. We didn't go undefeated, but in the league. Right, league play. And we had the league championship game against Hesperia. I went and picked up my mom for this game. I think it was our last home game of our senior year. So I think the rest of the games would have been away games. I can't remember if that was the game or not. And effectively, what happened is my mom went and picked her up and brought her the game. Coach knew how important this was to me because he saw that I went and got my mom. And a couple of the plays he put me in, he knew we were going to score a touchdown. And he put me in position to score a touchdown. And I did. And my mom was there. And I'm starting to tear up even thinking about it. I started crying because my mom was there to witness me make a touchdown. And I started crying on the field. And I was so happy that, you know, I could do that with my mom present. Right. Given what you guys all just heard about that situation. However, that was short-lived because apparently during that time, and it was Kelsey, because Kelsey was still in the band and my mom sat near the band. Kelsey brought up to me that mom was a little too happy. Well, we come to find out my mom had gotten drunk at the game on school property. Now, (laughs) for those of you that are listening and don't know, and Rod can attest to this too, there was a person that was an assistant coach on our team who just so happened to be the top law enforcement guy in Nuego County. That would be Paul's dad, Sheriff Mike Mercer, who was also the assistant coach for the football team, and he was a pride advisor as well. And then we also had the main advisor of the pride team, Jay DeWisflair. This incident created a large scene after the game. It had me in tears, not in happy this time, but in pure I can't believe this is happening because my mom wanted to drive me home and I refused to let her drive me home because she was drunk. Between these two people, one wanted her arrested and thrown in jail on site. The other one pulled me aside and said, what do you want to do? I am not afraid to reveal who said what because I was actually in disbelief who said what. Jay wanted my mom thrown in jail. While the sheriff of Nuevo County, when my mom was clearly, clearly in violation of school territory, school zone laws, pulled me aside and said, what do you want to do? Because he knew what would happen. He knew the effect that it was having on me. I think knowing both of them, that doesn't surprise me that much because Mike's more of a tenderhearted guy. Yeah. But go, sorry. Yeah, no, you're fine. But that, that... When you said that, that was my guess, too. Yeah. and It should have been the other way around. I, you would think. Knowing, you would think. Knowing Mike, <laughs> I could see him. Yeah. And so I ended up calling my mom's friend. He came and got her and got her out. Now, to reveal to you how really important this was, because of who I was to the community, to the pride team, and to the school, and how I affected people that are around me, my mom had a warrant in Nuego County. The sheriff of Nuego County was my assistant coach and pride advisor. He ignored all of it because he knew the situation with me and my mom. And he didn't want... Right, he didn't want to throw extra on it. 
throw extra on it. So he spared that. When you hear stuff later, if we get to that subject on how I feel about police and the current state of the country, don't get it twisted that I don't care. Because I witness what good can do. Not that I can't sit here and critique it, but I, in a lot of ways, had a, a, a privilege <laughs> in that sense. But going, continue back and forwarding back mm-hmm. to graduation time, she she had guessed that I was gay, and she says, you know, as long as my baby's happy, I'm happy, I don't care. And we proceeded the rest of the year, and I graduated, and my mom was there. I... And my walkie partner, Chrissy Cornell, she, you know, that they pair you up as they walk. I bawled my eyes the whole way because my mom was there to witness me graduate from high school. Very cool. And then that led into the summer. And you, unfortunately, you didn't, stay, you didn't stay on with the pride team. On I this. could not, unfortunately, so. okay. because as bad as I wanted to, I couldn't because I had to move to Grand Rapids and going back and forth between grand rapids and nuego trying to do the shows would not have worked because i didn't have a job and i was staying with my aunt and it was just it was just a complicated situation and that year hurt me because i really wanted to stay through the summer until the end program be a part of the team to the very end because it was such a huge impact on my life it wasn't like you were the only one that didn't stay over it it's usually like a 50 50 split yeah between the seniors i know mm-hmm. there were a good half of you guys that didn't stay on and then i hadn't experienced all my as on stage so i was like yeah i'm definitely staying yeah but so you graduated you didn't continue with pride and you moved to grand rapids, to grand rapids. um i'm gonna ask you a couple questions that i ask everybody that's on mm-hmm. the show about childhood what's your first vivid memory that you just doesn't matter what it is what's the first memory you have the youngest you were my grandmother passing away because i'm the one that discovered her on my mom's birthday that that was your first memory next question what's your favorite memory of the 90s now my okay i fibbed a little bit there most vivid one is the death of my grandmother because i'm the one that found her Mm -hmm. but I want to say, when did the Nintendo come out? Like, the first one. Like, first first came out? I think 88 or 89. Okay. So, I wanted a Nintendo. Maybe even 86. And I begged and begged my grandmother to get me one. (laughs) And so, come Christmas of that year that it came out, woke up, had a huge stack of presents, opened all the presents, no Nintendo. I was mad. (laughs) However, this is also a point in my life where I had my dad's grandmother, my grandmother Geraldine, in my life at that time. And I visited her a couple times here and there. She knew what I wanted, but it, she had to work on Christmas, I think, I remember. And it's like 5 o'clock in the afternoon, going into evening, and she shows up with a few more presents. And the last present, she got me the Nintendo. Oh, nice. And it, it officially came out in 85, by the way. I okay. Back. So it might have been around that time. I can't really remember. But I know I had... That was the first year that they came out. And I wanted one. My grandmother. Not my actual... My, my mom's side. Right. But my dad's side mom. My dad's mom got it for me. And that was... the Because you see, if you've looked at reactions of kids getting the right. console that they wanted, especially back in the day, 
Oh, yeah. That was... I didn't get mine until first grade. Like, my cousins had one, and my best friend that lived across the street had one for, like... Don't it suck when your friends get it first? Well, I... I (laughs) We were just over there all the time playing it, and finally... I think they waited until Justin was old enough that he could technically play, too, so they could give it to both of us for Christmas. That's what happens when you have siblings. You have to only child here. Sorry, yeah, you have to share. <laughs> but um, another funny video game Christmas story is we got. It must have been maybe my freshman year or eighth grade year. We got WCW versus the World for a Nintendo sixty four. Oh my god! And I had asked for it, begged for it, whatever. And uh, my parents were gone. They worked for a shift, so we were we always got home and we were home alone for a couple hours before they'd get there. And figured out that they had already wrapped the presents in there in their bedroom. So you could tell what a Nintendo 64 looked like. Case looked like. So I opened it, took it out, put in one of my other games so it would have the same weight. And we played that game for like a good two months before Christmas. And then had to act surprised at Christmas. <laughs> and my, my parents never knew. Like, Have you ever told them that? Yeah, I told them once I was an adult. <laughs> well, because they were talking about how I should be more lenient on presence with Liam. And I'm like, come on, you don't even know about... <laughs> so. <laughs> yeah, um, so, th- so that was your first memory other than your grandma passed away was the Nintendo. What were... You said you loved Power Rangers and you loved... Uh, Batman, Spider-Man. Batman, all that kind of stuff. When What was your first comic book you got into? Oh, goodness. I mean, to be honest, I can't tell you. I don't remember. I don't. Okay. I don't even tell when I picked up my first comic. All I know is, you know, I grew up watching the 90s cartoons. Right. You know, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, He-Man, She-Ra. Spoiler, I was a huge fan of She-Ra. Everybody else freaking loved He-Man. I couldn't stand He-Man because at that point, the only thing I could tell you was that She-Ra had the better powers, and she does. <laughs> so... And then, you know, I was in the Voltron, which is, I guess you can say, effectively was my first anime that I was really into. So I had the, your pretty typical raising outside of being an only child and not having my the dad The pop around. culture side. Yeah, was... the pop culture side was, was on point. There were okay. some video games that I didn't play that I didn't know about and some of the cartoons I didn't know about. But I had a pretty... Yeah, see, when I was little, my, my favorite cartoon when I was really young was Silverhawks. I Wait, do we love, share that? Oh, did you have the toys? Ones. Oh yeah. Did you? Okay, so Which my Copper favorite kid was the best. That, that was my favorite. See, toy you like the Silverhawks? I didn't like the Silverhawks. I like the bad guy because the bad guy was the big red guy who had the. Oh, dude! I went through like three of those action figures because I never kept him in his normal head. I kept him in his hel- helmeted star head. Oh, he was just the coolest guy to me. <laughs> he was like. He, when I had all my toys, he was like the leader of all of my toys, even though he was the bad guy. The Silverhawks are just boring to me, but the villain was they, awesome. They did have good villains on that show. I didn't know we shared that. That's pretty cool. Yeah, I've always liked the Silverhawks. That was, that was like my show that my parents actually, we would go to Hills. Do you remember Hills Department Store? Mm-hmm. We go to Hills and that was one of the action figures that they had. Was the Silver Hawk? So each time I'd get a different one. So I used to be a little sticky finger guy when I was younger. Oh yeah. So during that period when I lived in Sparta, I got in trouble. Uh, Big Lots. Do you remember Big Lots? Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, I stole all of the Power Rangers from the store. 
And one swipe or... I'd go back for it oh, periodically. Seems it wasn't until my dumb butt went back. I had all of them. Even Tommy, when he came out. So all the, the, the really... Right. Um, I went back for the Megazord. <laughs> Trying to sneak out with that. Thing. And yeah, I didn't make it. <laughs> gotcha. So that was one of one of those two that I remember when I had toys and stuff like that. Waiting. That concludes part one of the interview with Terrell Smith. I hope you guys all enjoyed the first part. The second part is even more intriguing. Has some of it. And becoming an adult as well as our discussions of some current events type topics. That'll come out on Friday with part two of the interview. And as always, we appreciate your emails and your phone calls. Email address is thestartcontrast at AOL.com. The hotline number, as always, is 920-395-8930. We appreciate you guys listening. The key to all this is making sure to share with your friends, subscribe on your favorite podcasting app to make sure you get this new content. And as always, thank you for listening. 